Chapter 17 The cousins stood in the sandy waste and soil halfway up the spoil heap, with the body of cake in front of them and the radioactive rocks that had apparently killed him still half buried off to their left. Each had finally placed his jacket over Cake's head and shoulders. His arm was round Chloe, who was crying again. We need to call for help, Each, she said, her voice raised. Who do you call when someone is already dead? Is it the undertakers? Jack shook her head. No, it must be triple nine. They can sort it out. Let's just tell them what happened each. Then it's over to them. She took out her phone. No signal, of course, she cried out in frustration. Each checked his phone, said, same here, and stood up. But before we call, what are we going to do with these rocks? We now have eight. I suppose we should take them. Hang on, Itch, said Jack. Why can't we just leave them all here? Come on, that's got to be the right thing. This is about as remote as we are going to get and there is no one about. We can explain everything when we ring triple nine. But Jack, you read Cake's note. Don't trust anyone, he said. The rocks are dangerous. If we leave them here, we don't know who'll find them. Flaudio is still out there somewhere, remember? Itch was frustrated at having to explain this. We have to make sure he doesn't get them. Each no, Jack was pleading now. I was scared of one, never mind eight. You saw what they did to Cake? Please, let's leave them here. We'll walk back into the village and call from there. But each had made up his mind. No. We just can't leave these rocks. Not after death already cost Cake his life. He was my friend, Jack. I can't let him down now. I need to know what they are and why they are so important. Then maybe we can hand them over. Get them to Watkins, perhaps. Only maybe, said Jack. Only perhaps. Come on, Itch, let's... Itch interrupted her. Jack, listen. Cake specifically asked me to get rid of them, which I will once I know how. Promise, said Jack wearily. Suddenly, a hurry to finish this argument and get out of there. Promise. That seemed to be the end of it for now. Each ran over to the blue parcel and without any further comment from anyone, he pulled it free from the ground. It was hot and heavy. It felt like there was something cooking inside. Cake had cut the apron to make the smallest package he could. 
but it was lead line with the cable wrapped round most of it. However, much protection the apron was giving them, it was clear that the rocks were secure and each had no intention of checking the contents. He pushed the bundle into the canvas bag. At the foot of the spoiled heap, they all hovered near Cake's body as if to say goodbye and pay their last respects. Jack and Chloe stood as each crouched down by Cake's covered head. He was trying to think of something wise to say when a loud, angry voice bellowed across the, the mine. What the hell do you think you are doing? Each, Chloe and Jack, jumped up and spilled round across the mine, walking by the luggage spoiled heap stood two men and a woman. The man doing the shouting was short, barrel-chested. Behind him stood a taller, older man in a cloth cap and the woman, the one from the village shop, she was pointing at them. The love cousins, already upset and wide by the death of their friend, were now flooded with fear guilt and panic. This is bad, thought each, glancing from the adults to Cake's body to their bags. And they will think we did it. Go, he shouted, and he grabbed the bag and the rucksack and ran up the spoiled heap. Where? Jack followed each up the slope, taking the rucksack from him and pulling Chloe along behind her. Just follow, yelled Itch, as they scrambled over the top. The ridge crumbled under their feet and they half slid, half stumbled down the other side. There were two more spoiled hips off to the right, one to the left, and some more crumbling mine buildings and towers stretching off towards woodland about 500 meters away. Each focused on a network of engine houses and chimneys halfway between them and the woods. There, he said, and took off across the open ground, avoiding the sun around the spoiled heaps where their footprints would be all too visible. They could hear the three adults shouting on the other side of the heap. From where they had been when they started yelling, they had a lot of ground to make up at least a thousand meters, each thought. They then had to climb or go round the spoiled heap. Each wanted to make it to the buildings before they crested or rounded the heap. That meant going at the flat-out sprint. Each ran with the heavy canvas bag in his right hand, with no time to swap it to, the, to his left. Jack had Itch's rucksack over her shoulders and Chloe running alongside. Jack could run faster than Chloe, but instinctively she settled at a slower pace, not wanting to let her young cousin fall behind. The ground was uneven, peppered with loose rocks and slate. 
they were terrified of sleeping as they covered the ground between the last spoil heap and the mine buildings. All three of them stumbled many times, Jack twisting her ankle in one particularly deep hole, but they managed to stay on their feet. About 100 meters out, each chanced a glance back over his shoulder. Jack and Chloe were at least 150 meters behind him and looked as though Chloe had a stitch as she was clasping a hand to her side. Her eyes, was, her eyes were as screwed up as her running would allow. She was grimacing with pain. Each reached the first wall, dropping the bag down on the other side of it. He then sprinted back to the others, grabbing his sister's hand. The three of them hurtled toward the cover of the wall. The shouts from the adults behind them were getting louder. Their pursuers would come into sight at any second, just a few more meters. They threw themselves over the wall, each banging his head on the lead pipe in the bag and the girls landing on top of each other. They lay motionless, gasping for breath, as, and as flat up against the wall as they thought was safe. It had crumbled to just over a meter high and looked as though it could collapse at any moment. They lay in the rubble, panting. Knowing that they had to do so as silently as possible made their, made their recovery long and painful. Each felt the back of his head, it troubled, and he was sure it was bleeding again. The voices were coming ever closer and each knew that they couldn't stay there for long. He pointed towards the nearest building, a tall, thin, three-walled ruin which had originally housed a shaft pumping engine. There was an empty doorway facing them, but they would have to cross open ground to reach it. They could now identify two voices, a man's and a woman's. Peering through a crack in the wall, Jack saw the older man was missing. Presumably, he had stayed with Cake's body. The short man and the woman from the shop had split up. The woman was walking up another heap and the man was heading towards their hiding place. He's coming this way, his Jack. Lying behind the wall, they could hear the man and the woman calling to each other. He was encouraging her, but she sounded scared. The man had stopped about 500 meters away and had turned back to face his companion on the spoiled hip. While he was shouting to her, each nodded at Chloe and she crawled out from behind the wall and set off towards the engine house. Faster, whispered each, the man might turn round again at any moment, but Chloe had disappeared through the doorway. Each realized that the man was reassuring the woman. You are doing fine, Mary, but be careful near the top. She called something back and he was silent for a while. Then they heard him call, hold on, and he ran off.
Each and Jack took their chance. They both crawled as fast as the rubber, the rucksack and the bag would allow across the gap into the engine house. Chloe was wide-eyed with fear. She was sitting curled up tightly with her arms around her knees, looking smaller than each could remember. She looked eight or nine years old again. He and Jack dived into the corner next to her and Jack hugged her terrified cousin. The three sides of the building gave them cover from the pair of the spoiled hip, but between them and the woods that marked the edge of the old mine lay another 200 meters of open ground with only the last chimney for cover. It looked a very long way away. Behind them, they heard a distant call. Jack edged her way towards a crack in the brickwork. Peering through, she saw the head and shoulders of the older man at the top of the spoiled heap where they had found cake. He was waving his phone around. It's the old guy. I think he's got a signal for his mobile. He's calling the others. She couldn't see the short man and the shop woman, but it could if he scrambled over to look through a crack in the other wall. Being careful not to dislodge any of the larger bricks or pieces of broken slate that now form most of the floor of this building, he crabbed his way over the crack that was nearest to him. They are climbing down, he reported. Now they are looking over here. Each that just in case, even though he was sure they couldn't see him. After a few seconds of quiet, he peered out again. They are running back to the old guy. I guess he's called the police and wants them there. Hang on, he stopped. The short man had stopped at the foot of the spoiled heap and turned round, cupping his hands to his mouth. We have called the police and they are on their way. You won't get far. That man is dead. I remember your faces. The woman was calling him and he turned and ran round the spoil heap. Each, they think we killed Kick, said Jack. Chloe started to cry again and each crept over to crouch next to her. Listen, Chloe. They might think we killed Kick, but no one else will. The uranium or whatever this is killed cake. Radiation poisoning is ready to diagnose. He didn't protect himself until it was too late. Everyone would realize that. She nodded, reassured. I know that, but they sound pretty mad. It was silent in the old mine and each looked out towards the woods. We need to make it to the trees and then get back to the road. Where are we going? asked Jack. Away from here, said H. We'll make for that chimney first. Even if they see us, we'll be too far away. They are old, he smiled at Chloe and got a weak smile back. He picked up the canvas bag and Jack hoisted the rucksack. They were about to set off when Chloe cried. H, your jacket, you left it. Each stiffened and sucked air through his teeth. He knew he had left his jacket. 
that had seemed the decent thing to do. They couldn't have left cake uncovered. That wasn't what worried him. Please tell me your name isn't it. Please tell me your name isn't in it, said Jack. Each said nothing. His mother had written his name on the back of the collar as he had lost his previous one on a school non-uniform day. Oh, help, Jack. Oh, help, said Jack. We'd be better get going. Each checked that it was clear and nodded. All three of them dashed out together towards the chimney. Like the others, it was more or less intact and covered in ivy, but was slightly shorter than the rest. It was fatter, too, and so was wide enough for all three of them to hide behind. They reached it in 20 seconds and stood behind each other, with Jack looking ahead to the woods now just about a hundred meters away. There were no sign there was no sign of adults. All was quiet. Let's just go for it, said each, and they headed for the trees. Gradually the loose stones and slate gave gave way to earth and grass. They crashed into the trees and bushes and threw themselves down, expecting to hear shouts, but none came. They lay still for what seemed like an edge, then each turned to the other and smiled. Made it! They crawled through to where the trees were dense enough to hide them. When they couldn't see the mine workings anymore, each called a halt. They sat with their backs against the tree trunks, facing a small clearing. A few early, early evening rays of sun made it through the leaves so they cast long shadows in front of them. They could hear faint traffic noise from the road they had left barely an hour before. They were all breathing heavily and drenched in sweat. Each knew his head was bleeding again and there was a steady throb from the back of his skull. He closed his eyes. He desperately needed to think. Where now then? Instead of getting rid of his radioactive rocks, he had ended up with eight. They were sealed in a way, but he had no idea how effectively. It was more than possible that all three of them were subject to dangerous level of radioactivity right now. Chucking the pieces of rock away or handing them in was very tempting. But wouldn't he do better than that? He had read, collected, researched and obsessed about the element for years. He should know what to do. Jack and Chloe were sitting with their eyes closed as they got their breath back, waiting for him to tell them what to do. Each stared at the canvas back. The first rock had already sent Flower Dew crazy, but then he was clearly convinced that this substance was extraordinary. Extraordinary enough to finish his career at the CA. Each tried to remember all the other elements that had been found in uranium ore. 
He thought he remembered copper. But that wouldn't have produced such an hysterical reaction from Frau Dio. He guessed it must be gold, silver or platinum, something of extreme value. They wouldn't explain the high radiation count, but it just had to be something that could change the fortunes of the discoverer forever. Each was sure Cake had realized that something weird was going on. He carefully took out the torn piece of paper that Jack had retrieved from the bundle and reread it. I've never seen anything like it. You need to get rid of them. These rocks are dangerous. Don't trust anyone. He folded it again. How could you get rid of dangerous rocks, especially if you couldn't trust anyone? His head was really troubling now. He needed more painkillers. He checked his phone. There was a weak signal. But who should he call? His mom, dad and brother were all at home. But what would they say? Ring the police, hand in the rocks and come home probably. He knew that was the sensible thing to do. Jack and certainly Chloe would be happier with that. But again, he thought, I can do better than that. I'm an element hunter. I have extraordinary elements. Deal with it. He would text his mom to explain that he and Chloe had been delayed and Jack could text her that. The parents wouldn't like it, but it would buy them some time before they started worrying. As if reading his mind, Chloe asked, Shouldn't we get back or calling home? Jack looked at her phone. I said I'd be home for dinner. We do need to tell someone what's happened. That we didn't kill cake. Each nodded. Very soon, the paramedics and the police would be arriving and things would get tricky. Agreed. Let's ring when we are on the bus. I want to get away from here first. Small, small isolated brush fires had sparked on both sides of the road but weren't preventing an ambulance from making its way slowly around the crash, crash site. The Range Rover waited for it to negotiate the twisted smoldering rubber and smoking metal. It was followed by two police cars which, which flashed their tanks, their tanks to the waiting driver. Kinch laughed, but Flaudy was not happy. They'll remember us now. You are an idiot, Kinch. Each losing feeling in his right leg, thought that's how Flaudy talks to everybody. It isn't just us. He glanced at Jack, but she had her eyes shut. You should, you should know we've all been sick, he said. And I think Jack is about to be again. Could we sit up on the seats now? Flaudio laughed. Play with things that are out of your league, laughed it. And you pay the price. In your case, radiation sickness is a very, very high price. How many times? A few times? Hair loss? 
reddening skin, each wasn't sure, so said nothing. Your eyebrows have gone already. I can see that from here. It's just a matter of time, I'm afraid. Each couldn't be bothered to correct him. And anyway, he now knew all too well what the next signs of sickness were. Where would you like us to be sick? He replied, getting cross now, even though he knew that was probably unwise. On your leather seat or on your carpet? How about on each other, said Flaudio, provoking a sneering laugh from Kinch. Okay, she can sit up, but you stay down. Each gave Jack a shove, and she hauled herself up and swapped places with the rucksack, towing it on the floor beside each. They sped north and soon picked the major roads to head out of Cornwall. But as soon as they had put some distance between them and Westridge, Vlaudio insisted that Kinch use the sat-nav to find the route, route with minor roads. He was still fuming at his driver. When they realize the rocks are gone, they'll be looking for a Range Rover seen leaving the scene, driving by a grinning simpleton with a ponytail. Each was about to ask where they were going, but twisting round, he saw that the sat-nav showed an, an address in West London and a journey time of 4 hours 45 minutes. If they stayed on the B roads, that would rise to at least 6 hours. He resumed the posture that was familiar from the times he tried to stay up late watching TV. If you don't move or say anything, everyone will forget you're there. It hadn't worked then, and it didn't work now. You have no idea how many people will want what we have here, said Flaudio. The content of that box are worth more than the crown jewels, more than all the hidden submarines this country owns, more than the total earning power of Canada. He looked at Jack and Itch. I've done my homework, as you can see. When this got no response, he kicked Itch in the ribs. Hard. Pay attention, Lofty. You always were one of drifting off. Only in your classes, sir. This caused Itch another kick in the ribs, and he yelped in pain. Can I tell you how great that feels, Lofty? After all the pain you've caused me, to see you hurt is really rather therapeutic. I like it last time, but then that fool Watkins interrupted. He lashed out again. That's for Watkins. This time, the kick landed lower than the first two, at the base of each ribcage, and the sharpness of the pain flooded his eyes with tears. His determination not to cry out again made him screw his eyes up tight, but tears rolled down his face. A pathetic display, Lofty. You really shouldn't have stolen my rock, you know, or broken into my house. I'm sure you'd like to say sorry, wouldn't you? 
in the time-honored way of teachers, he added. I'm waiting. I'd like to hear you say sorry. Each was about to swear at him when he felt Jack's hand reach for his and finding it squeezed gently. Sorry, he said instead. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. There, so much better. Now we are all friends again. Flowerdin chuckled to himself and Kinch watched in his mirror. Jack gradually fell asleep and each with his rucksack to lean on, drifted off too. Each was a fearful dose from which he emerged sweating, nauseous, and with his burned hand still throbbing hard. Lying there in the dark, he could see Jack asleep, but with her head now on the seat where Flower Dew had been. He had obviously climbed over and was now in the front passenger seat with the rocks at his feet. He had his laptop open and he was speaking quietly into his phone. Outside it was pitch black. Wherever they were had no street lighting and there appeared to be no traffic either. It was a while before each really tuned in to what Flowerdin was saying. Once he had shifted around to ease the circulation of his legs, he found a discarded water bottle under the seat which still had a few mouthfuls of in the bottle. He quietly unscrewed the cap and sipped. The temptation to swig noisily was great, but he didn't want to alert Flowerdew and Kinch to the fact that he was awake. No, Kazim, listen, trust me on this. I... Flowerdew stopped, clearly interrupted by his caller. After a few moments, he spoke again. I'll send you the data I have. Call me back when you get it. He hung up, sent three documents via email, and called out, called a number, another number. His greeting was in a language that each didn't recognize. It sounded African. Kedu is flower deal. We need to meet up, Benedict. I have a present you should see. Can I send you details? Where to? He quickly typed an email. It's on its way. The same three documents were attached and sent. Flaudio closed his laptop and rubbed his eyes. Where are we, Kinch? The driver glanced at the sat-nav. Three miles from Bath. Do you want to stop? No, but perhaps we should disappear for a while. Word is out about our cargo, but we don't have to be in London till tomorrow night. My old Nigerian friends won't be in place until then. We need to keep a low profile. The lower, the better. Ideas? There was a village called Abbots a couple of miles back. We drove through it about 10 minutes ago. It's full of second homes, all deserted and not alarmed. We could choose from about eight or nine, I reckon. Flowerdew smiled. It sounds perfect, do it. Then as much to himself as to Kinch, these beauties change everything. 
wars have been fought over less. And even if the authorities get hold of them in the end, nothing can be kept secret forever. Even with the best intentions, it's the destructive power and terror these rocks have that will win the day. That's what makes them so valuable. Each thought in it the most chilling thing he had ever heard. King said nothing but had already turned round. Within five minutes, they were entering Abbots again. There were a few street lights and they saw Immaculate Stone Cottage leaning the main street all, way, all the way to the, to the church. Kinch pointed to the six or seven with beams outside their gates. They had the ones, Telte sign. Beams are empty, but there is no one at home to wheel them back in. Which do you fancy? You can take your pick. Kinch pulled the Range Rover to the side of the road and Flowerdale wound down the window. He looked up and down the row of well-kept bath stone cottages, the honey-colored brick lit only by the occasional security light. All windows were either shuttered or had curtains drawn. He shrugged. They are all the same. Let's take the end one. The parking is round the back, Kinch told him. Flaudil stared at him. You've done this before, haven't you? Kinch smiled. It's what you pay me for, isn't it? He switched off the headlight and drove round to the side of the cottages, pulling up in a little service room that ran between the back doors of the cottages and their gardens. I'll be two minutes, said Kinch and slipped out of the car. Watching in the mirror, Flaudio saw him lean against the back door and insert a number of thin steel objects into the lock. The door opened and Kinch disappeared inside. In less than two minutes, he had returned. Opening Flaudio's door, he said, it's perfect. Nodding at Jack, sprawled on the back seat and each apparently asleep on his rucksack, he asked, what do we do with them now? You've got what you wanted. They are just in the way, really. I know, but they know everything. Let's discuss this inside. Flaudio picked up his briefcase and the bag containing the lead linen box and headed for the end cottage. He left Kinch to rouse Jack and Itch hold them out of the car and into the house. Kin shut the door behind them, relock, relocking it. He'd put the lights on their lowest setting. They were standing in a small kitchen with another cooker, a pretty farmhouse-style table and chair, and marble walk surface. In the corner of the room, the door to a large pantry stood open. Assorted supplies were clearly visible inside the kinch inside and Kinch looked hungrily at, at them. Help yourself, I'm going to find somewhere to work, said Flaudio. Bring me a coffee, black, two sugars. He turned and was about to walk out of the kitchen into the darkened house when he added, 
And don't let them out of your sight. Devious, lying, thieving children need all your attention, King. Claire? Kinch nodded. And Flaudio left with the bag and his briefcase. Each sat down at the kitchen table, but they realized that Jack was swaying where he, she stood. He went over and tidied her. Need a bathroom, she said. Both follow me, Kinch ordered, and led the way up twisting spine, twisting pine stairs to a small landing. In front of them was a bathroom. Each helped Jack in, found the light cord, kicked the door shut, and got her to the toilet just in time. Kinch stood guard outside. They stayed in the bathroom for half an hour, partly because Jack was really very ill, but also because they hadn't been able to speak together for a while. After the sickness had passed, they both sat with their backs against the bath. Does this carry on or get worse, whispered Jack. Well, I don't think we get better without help, said Itch. And before you say it, we are sticking together. We left Chloe because she had Watkins, all right. Okay, said Jack. I wasn't asleep in the car, you know. I heard Kinch say we were in the way. She dabbed her face with a flannel. I suppose it's true. We are in the way now, massively in the way. And you heard Flaudio, he said, but they know everything which we do. Each stood up and opened the bathroom cabinet, finding a tube of antiseptic cream. He smeared some of his burned hand. Apart from who he's trying to contact, he said, it sounds like green cops have cut him loose. So he's calling all his old dodgy mates in the oil business who might be interested in the rocks. Do you think we should assume so, that whoever comes for the rocks will be bad? Asked Jack. I think that's a pretty safe bet, yes. The chances of him giving them to any good cause is slim. Jack started laughing, and for a moment each thought she'd gone crazy. What's so funny, he said. Just the picture of Flaudio offering eight dangerously radioactive rocks to Oxfam to see if they would be of any use. <laughs> it's love too, and Oxfam becomes a Negro power. And bombs Christian aid, said Jack, and they dissolve into giggles. This led inevitably to Kinch coming in and taking them downstairs again. It was clear that he had been busy working his way through the pantry. The table was littered with empty crisp packet biscuits and chocolate wrappers and beer bottles. Kinch's t-shirt had crisp crumbs all over it from where he had with his hands. Quietly, presumably so, Flower Dew couldn't hear, he said. If you are hungry, there's plenty of stuff. He went into the larder again. Returning with a large packet of crisps, he chucked it at each who cooked it and opened it in the one movement. Jack wasn't that hungry, but she needed a few and each devoured the rest. Any chance of sleeping in a bed, he asked. Kin shook his head. Dr. Flaudius said, you sleep in the dining room and I guard the door. 
The windows are locked shut there. Each shouldered the rucksack and they headed for the dining room. In the gloom, they could just make out a large table and some wooden chairs. At the far end, there was one armchair with some cushions and Jack slumped in it, curling up almost immediately. Each put down his rucksack and Kinch watching him said, why do you carry that stuff around you? What stuff? That stuff in your rucksack, he said to check it for weapons. Scissors, knife, that kind of things. But it's full of junk. Is that what you told him? I told him there was no weapons. Just rubbish and word boy stuff. He wasn't interested. Well, I collect things, that's all. Metals, batteries, and kind of things. Each was trying to make it sound boring, and he clearly succeeded. Kin shrugged his sloping shoulders and left muttering. Sounds fascinating. He closed and locked the door.